Welcome to Future Hindsight. I'm your host, Mila Atmos. Each week, I speak with citizen changemakers who spark civic engagement in our society. Our guest today is George Lakoff. He's an emeritus professor of cognitive science and linguistics at UC Berkeley, whose research involves the application of cognitive and neural linguistics to politics, literature, philosophy, and mathematics. In recent years, he's been researching the language of politics in which we reside, analyzing political worldviews and the framing of issues in public discourse. His books include The All-New Don't Think of an Elephant, Whose Freedom, and Moral Politics. In this era of post-truth, when our information environment is deeply polluted, we need to arm ourselves with the tools to speak the truth and set the record straight. It's time to learn the truth sandwich. If you negate a lie, what you're doing is highlighting the lie. So if Trump tells a lie and you simply negate it, all you do is say, no, it's not true that blah, blah, blah. What you're doing is you're saying, ah, think of the blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, you're helping him whether you're for him or against him. If you just negate. So what choice do you have? The choice that you have is what I call a truth sandwich. We talk about how the truth matters to our democracy, why we must frame first and lead with the truth, and how we communicate and act upon our values. Let's listen in. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. So you have done a lot of research on the application of cognitive and neurolinguistics to politics. What is the research that you do? I look at how people think and how they talk to express how they think. I look at how issues are framed in the media and in general. I look at what the inferences are from the framing of issues. And I look at how you can talk on a program like this, given the way issues are framed in public by public uh, figures and in the media. One of the things that you say is that your brain can only understand what your brain allows you to understand. That's correct. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, your brain has mechanisms for understanding your everyday life. When you walk down the street, you see cars, you see people crossing the street, etc. You understand that. If you were in the middle of a jungle and you just sat down there, you'd never been in a jungle, you wouldn't know what was going on around you. Your brain would not be attuned to understanding the jungle, whereas people who live there understand it. Quite simply, your brain characterizes everything you understand and everything that you understand behind your everyday actions and everyday understandings. So in this context, how does framing activate neurocircuitry in terms of us understanding political language? What it does is it puts you in a situation where you start not from nothing, but from whatever the content of the frame and the understandings are. So, for example, if um, Trump was acquitted by the Senate, then you start from there. If he was found guilty by the Senate, you would start from there. In short, it tells you where you start from, what you can take for granted, what the consequences are, and therefore what you can say without contradicting what's understood. 
So then what happens when a brain is presented with a lie? When you're presented with a lie, the question is, one, do you know that it's a lie? Is a very important question. Suppose you don't know that it's a lie, then you take it assuming that it's true unless proven otherwise. And then you test it, look at its consequences, etc. If you know that it's a lie, then you've got a problem. Because if you negate it, you're helping the other person. There's a general rule, you know, don't think of an elephant, makes you think of an elephant. If you negate a lie, what you're doing is highlighting the lie. So if Trump tells a lie and you simply negate it, all you do is say, no, it's not true that blah, blah, blah. What you're doing is you're saying, ah, think of the blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, you're helping him whether you're for him or against him if you just negate. So what choice do you have? The choice that you have is what I call a truth sandwich. You always start with the truth. You never start with a negation of the lie. You start with the truth. Then you can point out that it's been said, something that contradicts the truth has been said, it's a lie. You can say what the lie is and then you repeat the truth. That's called a truth sandwich. Let's try an example. How about the impeachment one is a perfect example in terms of calling it a hoax or a witch hunt. There you find that there is a real legitimate inquiry into Trump's behavior uh, on the basis of known facts, you know, that he is being impeached for the following reason. Then you say Trump, of course, will deny this and claim the following. But we know what the truth is. And then you tell the truth. What if you don't know it's a lie? What happens then? If you don't know it's a lie, you need to find out what the facts are. <laughs> this is maybe not exactly on point with the brain science, but I think one of the big problems we have right now is that we are inundated with lies. And it's very difficult if you are not up to speed constantly to know which one is true and which one is not. And people just swallow everything whole. Well, that's why we have people in the media who do fact-checking and who are reporters. And if they're good reporters, then they're trusted. There are quite a number of very good reporters out there. And what they're doing is reporting on the facts. And when there are lies, they report on the fact that there are lies. And if they're smart, what they do is they say the truth first. They report the lie, and then they say the truth. Unfortunately, many reporters simply negate the lie and then say the truth. And if you do that, you're getting people to think in terms of the lie first. And that's a bad idea. Because it gets people to first understand the lie and frame everything in terms of the content of the lie. And then the truth has less force. Right. So you always have to frame first. You frame first, and you frame with the truth. Why does the truth matter? It matters incredibly, because this is a democracy. It works by the truth. It works according to what has actually happened, and whether what has happened has fit the principles of our democracy. It matters for maintaining our democracy, for keeping this a democratic country. It has to do with all of our values. What is the purpose of these lies when we think about democracy and the politicians who lie? 
The purpose of the lies is to give given political figures a political advantage over facts that would disadvantage them. How do lies erode democracy? Lies uh, erode democracy in all kinds of ways. First of all, if there are important lies and the things worth lying about are usually important lies, then they have consequences. They have consequences for all sorts of things that affect you in your everyday life. If they're major lies, especially lies by a president, you need to know whether they have consequences for things like global warming. Do they have consequences for our economy? Do they have consequences for jobs? Do they have consequences for freedom? You know, you have to keep track of that. That's hard. Most people don't keep track of it. And that's why we need an informed media. We need people in the media, people in the press, who are informed, who can keep track of these things, and who will write about them whenever they occur. That's why the press is important. That's why the media is important. Well, I feel like everybody in the media should take a class or read your book on framing, at least, so that they don't write bad headlines <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> write articles that are properly framed. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think that would be a good idea. I recommend the book. The book is not politically one way or the other. The book is about framing, and it's useful for everybody. That's right. So... In terms of our larger population, now that we are just so accustomed to all of the lies, what are the consequences for us as a collective society? The consequences are very great. It matters what people take as the truth. It matters in how they vote. It matters in matters of public opinion and polling and in what uh, a political figure can get away with. I mean, it, you know, the truth matters. In terms of the brain science, how does repetition play a role in us believing the lies? Repetition is incredibly important. Every time something is repeated, the brain circuitry for understanding that is activated again and strengthened. Repetition strengthens what you have in your brain. And if it's strengthened enough, it's hard to overcome it with the truth. So if we are reading a newspaper, how can we filter out the lie? So let's say if we are reading a headline and it's just quoting the lie first in the headline and then stating the truth or sometimes not even doing that, what is a way for everyday people to say, okay, how can I find out what's really happening? Everyday people have a problem because they're not into the neuroscience of this. They just read the newspaper. And so they are at risk of accepting lies. You don't want to allow that. That's why it's important for newspapers to have staffs that are very, very good at rooting out lies. They need editors who are not going to lead with the lie. That's why it's important to have very, very good newspapers. What is some reporting that you have seen, let's say, in the last year that you thought was really well-framed? There are cases where, let's say, the New York Times will point out that Trump lied about something in a headline. And that's important 
to actually be able to say that, to say the president lied about so-and-so, and here's the truth, and here's what the lie was. And then remember the consequences of the lie versus the truth. Here are the consequences of the truth. You know, he's trying to avoid those consequences by lying. Well, I read a New York Times headline after I saw Ambassador Jovanovich testify in the House. And I don't know if you watched it, but she was really formidable. I thought she was very strong. And she gave clear warnings about the danger of our current policy in Ukraine and of smearing her, a U.S. ambassador, for U.S. national security. So the New York Times headline the next day said, ex-envoy devastated as Trump vilified her. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wait, that's not really what the testimony was about. But that's the thing that they chose to print above the fold. I watched it, too, and I agree. This wasn't about her emotional state. The important thing was that she gave evidence that the opposite of what Trump was trying to do about getting dirt on Biden and what the truth was. And the Times didn't lead with the important truth and with what Trump was trying to do. So if you were to rewrite this headline, what would you say? It depends on what the lead is going to be. If the lead is Trump is lying to attack what actually has happened in Ukraine, and the ambassador is telling the truth about it. So Trump is trying to you know, cover up the truth. That is one possible headline. Trump is attempting to cover up his attempt to get dirt on Biden illicitly. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's doing this by attacking the envoy who is telling what actually happened. If you're an everyday person, I know that you're very susceptible to just believing the lies. But what are the things that we should be looking out for when we read the news or listen to the news? If you're listening to the news, you have a lot of stored facts that you know. And you should be looking out for things that contradict those facts. And then the question is, did you believe a lie before, or is the lie coming out now? And then they ask, how do you find out about it? Are there shows in the media where this will be discussed? Will it be in the newspapers, etc.? And you try your best to find out what's going on. It's shockingly complicated. I read three newspapers a day, and sometimes I'm still wondering what really happened. <laughs> I know the uh, feeling. <laughs> Yeah. I only read two. You read two. Which papers do you read, out of curiosity? Uh, The Times and the San Francisco Chronicle. I don't read the Chronicle. I read the LA Times. But what are the things that you are surprised to learn about humans and linguistics? Well, the big thing has to do with the way people fool themselves. You understand certain things because of the way your brain is constituted. And given that understanding, you can only understand what the brain allows you to understand. And most people don't realize that you have to worry about this. They just go along and live. And so if you have certain understandings about politics, history, etc., certain other facts that you hear are going to be filtered out or seen as lies. 
And you have to know that you have those understandings, that those things purported to be facts may in fact be incorrect, or the problem may be with you. You have to be sort of fact check yourself. That is not easy to do. It requires vigilance. It requires knowing that you can get it wrong too and keeping track of where you can get it wrong. That takes a fair amount of doing, and it's not easy. It's not easy, and I think it's probably not something that everyday Americans are about to do. Right. I really would love for you to talk a little bit about how our politics reflect our morality and about having two belief systems in terms of strict father morality or nurture and parent morality. Well, we have very different moral systems. It's not true that you know there's just morality and non-morality. What counts as moral depends upon how you understand yourself, your family, the world, and so on. Strict father morality is something that says there is an authority. In a family, it's the father. In politics, it can be some other authority that you take. It could be a particular leader, a particular party, etc. And that what that leader says determines what's true and false, determines what's moral and non-moral. So if you're a Republican and you accept the Republican take on things, then certain things will be right and other things will be wrong. If you're a Democrat, different things will be seen as right and wrong. And most people don't think about that this is happening and that you have to sort of fact check yourself constantly to know whether, in fact, your side is getting it right. That's a hard thing to do, and most people don't do it. So you have to depend upon what political leaders you believe and what news sources you believe. When we think about morality in this way, how can Republicans justify understanding something to be a lie and shrugging it off. So, for example, we saw in the impeachment trial in the Senate that Lisa Murkowski and Alexander Lamar said, yes, we believe the proof. We don't need to hear any more, but we are going to acquit him. Mm -hmm. How can you get to that conclusion? Because (laughs) for somebody like me, it's like, I don't understand. How does this work? Because to convict him is to hurt the goals of the Republican Party. And so if the goals of the Republican Party are more important, then you acquit him. So the fact that he broke the law, was lying, is totally irrelevant. Not totally irrelevant, but less important than maintaining your Republican values. So if you were on the other side... Let's say this happened to a Democratic president and we had a Democratic Senate. This is, of course, you know, counterfactual. But do you think then this would happen as well? Yes. Interesting. Can you explain that? I think that in general, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you have certain values. And if you believe that your party is carrying out those values and that certain political leaders are carrying out your values, 
then you keep your values. You understand the situation in terms of your values. You won't give them up. Now, you might say, oh, these guys are going against my values and that we have something wrong in our party. And then you try to deal with what's wrong in the party, but see it as an internal matter to change the party. So what's the source of your passion? The source of my passion is I believe in democracy deeply, very, very deeply. I believe in the values of this country. I think those are great values, and I try to live them. As an everyday person, and I know it's hard, as we just discussed, how can we live this value? What are one or two things I could be doing as an everyday person to live this value of democracy? Well, first, get informed. Find out what's going on. And then the question is, what can you do? You can write letters to the editor. You can talk to your friends. You can ask what kind of influence, if any, you have. And you can vote. And definitely always vote. I've never missed an election. My mother taught me when I was seven years old. <laughs> She took me into the, the, you know, where the ballot box was and showed me how elections worked. And since I've been able to vote, I have never missed one. That's great. Looking into the future, what makes you hopeful? I think that most people are honest. I think most people have decent values, and that makes me hopeful. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for asking. If only we all had a background in neurolinguistics. Well, short of that, it's good to understand just how we can be effective ambassadors for truth. It's pretty simple, actually. Frame first and frame with the truth. If you encounter a lie, make sure you use a truth sandwich and remind your listener about the consequences of the lie. Why is a lie being told at all? Remember that repetition works. Repeat the truth all the time, everywhere. Make the truth go viral. Especially when you see top-notch, truthful reporting of consequence that bears repeating. Share it. Support and subscribe to newspapers and other media outlets that are good at rooting out the lies and who do a good job at leading their reporting with the truth. Our democracy depends on it. After all, our world works on what actually happened, and our society can only vote sensibly based on good information and facts. Stand up for the truth. It matters. Next week, our guests are Travis Trammell and Elizabeth Pate Cornell. He just completed his dissertation at Stanford University on probabilistic risk analysis for fake news. He worked under the supervision of Dr. Pate Cornell, whose specialty is engineering risk analysis. Her recent work is on the use of game theory with applications that have included counterterrorism, nuclear proliferation, and cybersecurity. We need an informed electorate for the health of the U.S. democracy, but specifically for national security purposes, The ability for the electorate to understand factually what's happening globally and to be able to be involved appropriately to elect officials that 
are addressing national security concerns based on the way in which these citizens desire, fake news has the potential to undercut that basic foundation and the contract between the elected and those who elect them. We talk about fake news infecting and spreading like a virus, the increasing prevalence of fake news, both foreign and domestic, in the 2020 election cycle, and the dangers to democracy and national security. Until next time, stay engaged. I'm Mila Admos. Thank you for listening to Future Hindsight. The executive producer and host of this program is Mila Atmos. The audio producer and music composer is Peter Fedak. The associate producer is Miriam Zumbul. Additional production by Brooke Sayan. Listen to us online at futurehindsight.com or your favorite streaming service. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.